Carol's bio? Mm -hmm. Do you mm -hmm. want to read? You know I've Go been on. reading every guest's bio. Every one of them. I kind of want you to do it. Okay. Is it... Well, the reason I'd like you to do it is because you always stumble over mispronunciations, and so I kind of like to watch you stumble, quite frankly. Welcome back, Fuck everybody. You. Welcome to another episode of Dive in Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal communities with our less than ideal selves. I am Delma Jackson. And I'm Shandine Garcia. And today we have the amazing Kelly Richardson with us. We're going to talk money. We're going to talk freedom. We're going to talk identity politics and more. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. Thanks for staying tuned. DJ3, mm -hmm. what you got? I was listening to some old episodes of ours. Um, Were you bored? No, I was looking for <laughs> something. <laughs> I try to forget every episode we've ever recorded, except oh, really? the guests. Oh, my God. I'm and see, I'm the opposite. I just like listening to myself talk. <laughs> not surprise me yeah. i go back and i listen to the wisdom of the guests because i am so moved by it but i have to like hit you know mute when our voices come on and then unmute oh. to listen to them yeah I yeah can. i do just the opposite with the mute yeah, button that does not i don't care me. about you the guests none of that i just want to just hear you. how i sound yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i interrupted you you were listening to old episodes i was listening yourself. to old episode episodes of me and um <laughs> I, <laughs> I um i realized i missed something like we somewhere along the way stopped doing our highs and lows check oh, in yeah. we did. and i was like i kind of want to bring that back Fuck. i kind of want to okay. bring that back Shit. So you don't have to this time because I'm just putting you on on Front Street. You may not be prepared, but I certainly I'm, am. All right, <laughs> um, give us your high and your low, whatever order yeah. you feel like. Yeah, no, I always like to start with the low, and I hope people forget it by the time I finish my high. Um, but no, this this week I um, I was sitting at my typical bookstore place working. And I always sit near a window just trying to grab some sun and I uh, heard a really loud crash and I look up and there's a car accident on the corner um, right outside. And I automatically kind of make to stand up just wanting to see if everybody's okay. Right. And what I saw was initially one of the cars was smoking a lot. Um, but as the smoke cleared, I'm making my way to the door, but kind of keeping an eye on the cars. And out of both cars came two white men. Both of them, I would guess, maybe one of them's in their 20s, the other maybe 40s or 50s. Um, and it looked like they were the only two involved, like there's nobody else in either car. And I just, my just as my body automatically got up to check on them, my body automatically was like, oh, they white dudes. And then I went and sat down. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I want to believe I want to believe that seeing them get out of their own cars on their own power was part of my, like, logic. So if they had stumbled out bleeding, vomiting, arm askew. Or somebody's not getting out of the car at all. You think you would have? I would like to believe <laughs> that I would still go offer assistance. But what was definitely part of my... The forefront of my conscience was noting their race and gender. Of course. And 
I sat back down and grappled with myself for a while about what it all meant, right? Um, on one level, I can see, um, like, I can readily and easily make the case for why that's fine, why it's okay, fuck it, it is what it is. We all know the historical whatever, whatever's the contemporary whatever's, we get it. I can make that case. But what it brought up for me was like being able to make the case, is that enough? And is that who I want to be? Is Am I representing, in that moment, am I doing the very thing that I so often rail, rail against them for doing? And am I contributing to the problem by enacting a tenet that I often tend to think of as a white supremacist approach? Mm-hmm. Right? And so then it created this whole existential rabbit hole that I went down. But that felt, at least for a moment, like a low. I, I don't know if it still feels like a low right now <laughs> or not. But at least in that moment, that's how it initially initially landed on me um, i hear you so i hear that we were we were talking about that earlier in the in the pre um jam session which was you know i hired an amazing assistant to help me with some things and he's a just a, an amazing um white person um mm-hmm. we were talking about like like wouldn't it be nice to not have to pay them like mm-hmm. <laughs> reparations yeah, 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 like yeah, we're yeah. like just fucking work for me man like yeah. fuck that like you owe me yeah the, the reverse <laughs> shit is is that inclination an, like an, an, a meta example of what you just said? Mm-hmm. Like, are we then mm-hmm. just replicating the heinous shit they did to us mm-hmm. for whatever, like mm-hmm. vengeance, vindication, validation, like our, our, our reparation? I don't give a fuck what it is, but is in all of those things, our reactions, when you, you ask the question, is this who I want to be? Mm-hmm. I almost don't want to even ask myself that. I don't give a fuck. Like, maybe that just is. <laughs> and yet, again, we talk a big game about love and care and gratitude and, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, that existential crisis, I feel, is a running track that's happening all the time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, mm-hmm. I hear it both as a low and a given. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, the, did those two white guys live? They're fine. <laughs> They're fine. Whatever. They're white. They have health insurance, I'm sure. No, no. I meant like I'm I was there kidding. long enough to see that they were fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I turned my back. Just, you know. um, All right. What's your high? So on the high note, it's been a week in terms of... Um, school and expectations around academics. There's been a lot to think about in terms of how I relate to my kids and how I want them to relate to school. And in the midst of all of that, negotiating and insisting and whatever else, um, a couple days ago, it was a really nice day, really warm. I made some time to go outside, find some water and just be for a little bit meditate to an extent and one of the things that occurred to me was in the midst of all of my conversation with the babes I don't know that I have been as um, complimentary as I wanted to be and I was really thankful that that thought occurred because then it allowed me to reach out to them um, and make individualized, like I texted them some individualized, you know, messages um, for the sole purpose of just letting them know that I'm proud of them, regardless of some of the things that we're navigating and some of the areas that I'm like fussing and, you know, all of that, um, that it's, that's not, the whole of how I see them. And I think when you're raised 
with a lot of critique, it's easy to fall into that same pattern, that same habit. And so anytime I catch myself and remind myself to offer up praise, where praise is due, um, that feels like a win. And, um, you know, they always voice their appreciation for receiving that now that they're older. Um, so that felt like a, a good high for me. That's a great high. Yeah. What about you? Well, well, you know, now I feel like I've got to meet the high and the low. And now I'm also, I feel a pressure of like, which one do I start? Which one do I end on? Um, my high is a little, a little silly and a little selfish, I guess. So my, um, my baby boy is, I'm working for a Forbes Fortune 500, whatever hotel as a valet. And he's meeting all these billionaires, um, taking them to and from the airport and to and from like parking their cars and shit. Uh, one of uh, several of them have been really impressed with him and his engagement with them. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, he's my kid. Like how they engage with me is not how they engage with the public. Sure. And so I don't really have a good idea of what that, um, how they're received by other people. Mm-hmm. And he said he thinks one of the reasons he may be good at the personable hospitality piece is because when the kids were in the home, when anyone came to the house, I never let them just sit and be on their phone or be in their bedrooms. They had to come out. They had to greet the person. They had to make sure, do you, any, do you want any water? Do you want any food? Do you like, and then also be present at, they didn't have to stay the whole time when the guests, whoever came to my house. Mm-hmm. But I did expect them to have a presence, and if there was a meal, I also expected them to refill their water glasses and clear their plates and do the dishes. And it got to the point where I didn't even have to tell them when I would see it was around time to, I would turn and look and make the the nod or whatever, and they would be already almost stepping up. And so he, the fact that he acknowledged and recognized that he said you know mom i think you prepared me for something like this Mm -hmm. that was a high i've been thinking about it and proud of him but didn't think about it in terms of like a proud of myself (laughs) for helping a kid be a good human in the world i was just being a nagging parent Doing what my father would have required. Although I will say this. I do judge the fuck out of homes when the kids are sitting on their phones or not paying attention or aren't doing the same level of greeting or hosting. I don't judge the kids, but I certainly have feels about (laughs) parents and how they're raising their kids. Mm. (laughs) So I'm a little bit of an asshole. I don't like them less or like their parents less, but. My kid, because I was going to say, my babies would not be doing that. acknowledgement no even if we didn't know them no hi this is and and you see that and i i'm just aghast when i see that yeah so i would like to not be judgy on that front but i am 100 percent judgy on that front um the low (coughs) excuse me the low is a it's a pretty massive low um and i'll do my best to keep the anonymity of of what i'm navigating states the the work that we do in the social justice realm in this current climate whether it be around critical race theory or banned books or um any of the things that are are currently under attack 
mm-hmm. have created a level of innovation that right wingers are weaponizing to get to social justice workers. And one of the things that they're weaponizing is um, FOIA, which is the Freedom of Information Act. Mm-hmm. In the guise of transparency, when really it's just in the guise of trying to reveal who we are so that people can harass us. Yep. And and we've had some major setbacks and major betrayals. And the the hard thing around those betrayals is we don't fucking know the 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 law or what's behind what what are other ways to get around it. And so we believe and trust what we're being told. Mm-hmm. And so when we were told by someone, h- high-level person, that it wasn't this person's in their purview or they had they had the, the ability to say no mm-hmm. in terms of releasing information, we believed that person. And then this happened again, and it turns out that the person in charge now said, we absolutely will protect. Mm-hmm. We'll be on the side of justice. Mm-hmm. And I said, wait, I thought, I thought that was out of their purview. Mm-hmm. The level of betrayal and anger that I feel I'm like, I'm looking for a word to describe it, and I don't have a word to describe it. You and I had talked before about how sometimes the anger that you experience comes in cycles. And when that that cycle comes up, Mm -hmm. it is like people better get the fuck out of the way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and the things that you've done to harness that, I I, I, I don't know that I've been this angry. Like I think the last time I was this angry is when I was called a savage on a phone call. In a, in a pretty public, not public, but a pretty high-level state meeting by yeah. a colleague. I have, I know this is not true, but this is how I feel. I have nowhere to go with this anger. Mm-hmm. I know all of my people are going to be like, no, no, here, no, no. Like, I, so I'm not, I'm not inviting that. I'm not trying to um, be ungenerous around the love that they would show me in it. No dog. I'm just so fucking angry. Mm-hmm. I'm so fucking angry. I'm I'm not sleeping well. I'm eating terribly. We are under attack all of the time, and the fact that there wasn't a, a way that we could have prevented information getting out about people trying to just do justice work in the world. And I'm not talking justice work like, uh, you know, blowing up an, an Exxon Valdez, you know, a uh, company. I'm talking about someone wanting to teach Tony Morrison in a fucking English high school classroom. Yeah, this ain't. I'm talking about someone who <laughs> wants to have a, a book on LGBTQ parents in a fucking library. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I like even just right now, like to to take a page from Rita, like am I I'm shaking. Yeah. And I'm not cold, but I feel like I'm shivering. Mm-hmm. I'm so fucking mad. I'm reminded of your I'm reminded of something your father used to do with you. And I'm thinking about the space you have out there. And I'm thinking about what typical retreat spaces can look like and the sorts of activities people tend to engage in. And we talk a lot about embodiment. Um, I'm thinking about how your dad used to make you run laps when things felt really overwhelming Mm -hmm. and how um, he would check in with you in regular intervals, Mm -hmm. right? And he has some sort of internal gauge around whether or not you needed to take yet another lap right? Mm -hmm. Um, by way of checking in with you. And I'm going to just throw this out here. It's not cheap, but it wouldn't be too expensive, I don't think, either. 
let's consider a couple things for your retreat space because I, I would think maybe one of these might click for you. I think there's wisdom in having an area these de- designated to break things. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think it makes sense to have a heavy bag like I have in my basement. Mm-hmm. And whether it's a hatchet or something else, something to throw. Mm. Um, I think it's a fucking brilliant idea. I remember I forgot all about this until you just said it. Um, when I was kicked out of uh, my master's program for the second time, not the first one, the second time, uh, this guy who I was with for a while, we he went to the store and he got um, seven dozen cartons of eggs mm-hmm. and a bag of fucking tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And we took off to uh, we climbed up uh, Spencer Butte and just fucking threw them at mm-hmm. rocks with the like and screaming and throwing and screaming and throwing. I forgot all about that till this one moment. Yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm. I, it's sure shit not going to solve the immediate, but I swear to God, you know how many people would fucking love that space. I know I would. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. 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 Um, you do remind me, though, I should um, I should be sweating a little bit more. Mm-hmm. It just helps. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what my father was doing. I didn't know that then. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the things he was doing was, you know, sweating all those toxins out, like getting them out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to our listeners, uh, my father would get a chair and he'd sit outside and open a book. And we didn't know at the time what he was doing, but he was like, run, run. And when when I would get so angry or so whatever about life or something as a kid, just to run around the house again and again and again and again. And he would tell us when we could stop. And we always felt better after. Always. Mm-hmm. Every single fucking time. We didn't yeah. have, we were poor. We didn't have a gym membership. We didn't have a... Mm-hmm. A school near us, we could go to around the thing. We just ran around our fucking house, and our house was like had like three rooms. <laughs> it wasn't like mm-hmm. it was a big house, but we just ran around the house. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. There it is. There it is. Just angry. Yeah. And I'm it doesn't. Sorry. I don't feel like, and maybe it's the 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 tool of compartmentalization. I don't feel like it hurts the other pieces of joy and love that I feel in the world, mm-hmm. but it's certainly, it's certainly fucking ever present. Mm-hmm. It feels like that low level infection in my mouth that I had for 10 years in my, in my teeth. It's just present. And I want to break something like really break something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I just like clenching my fists when I break something, but Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think I should have switched it. I think I should have started with the low and ended on the high. So the transition is <laughs> fucking easier. <laughs> I just went to, speaking of like heavy things, my, my sister just did an amazing, amazing um, all day uh, community event on MMIW. And I'm not going to say what it is because my listeners don't know what it is. Look at the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Look at the fuck up. And Halfway through, all the speakers were were sharing really emotional stuff, and then we were going to go straight to a Q and A. And one of the panelists was like, "Actually, I think we need to pause. I think we all need to. The panelists need to stand up, go out into the other room, get something to eat, shake, yeah. breathe, whatever, come back, and let's figure Q and A later." And there was so much strength in him interrupting this program to do that, and so, mm-hmm. um. I don't know. That's what just made me think like, okay, take a deep breath. And before we go straight into the next thing, because oh, this shit's real. That anger is real. Yeah. 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 I am sorry that that's coming up because I know it's in the midst of like, it's good news in the present, but it speaks to what could have been in the past. And it's hard to really lean into Fuck. the good news. And know that your people are protected um, because you're thinking about what could have, should have been the case in the in the first place, right? Um, so I hope that the win 
seeps in, sinks in, germinates, blooms for you. But I can definitely understand why the anchor right now is so visceral. I think that's good. I think you're right. I think I'll just I'll reach out to one of the things that, you know, my brother Joan always said is this is not you're not this is not happening to you alone. It's happening. What's happening to you? It's happening to all of us. So um, he would say, let us help watering that like let, let's water that seed. So it mm-hmm. really does bloom the, the good because because it was a big win. Mm-hmm. It was a big win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. When all right. we come back. We are going to reintroduce one of our all-time favorite guests, the artist, the poet, the visionary, Kelly Richardson, will be joining us after our break. We'll be right back. Thank you for giving Diamond Justice a listen. We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have. If you're digging the pod, there are a couple of things you could do to show your support. First, head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together. The second thing you can do and should do is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dive underscore in underscore justice. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for hanging with us during that transition. Um, we have Kelly Richardson back. Before I read her bio, I'm just going to do a quick shout out. To my sister, Jonna Ann, who loves your poetry, Kelly. Your poetry has gotten her through so many things. And I wonder how often poets actually hear that. Like, not very often. Yeah. Yeah. And so so I wanted to shout out to Jonna. I wanted to open with that before I read your bio because I want people to feel the real of the power of what you do. And I mean, thank you. Just loves your poetry. All right. For those of you who didn't listen to our first season of Dive and Justice, you should have and then go back and listen to Kelly Richardson's episode. But in the meantime, you're going to have access to the amazingness that she's going to bring today. Um, for those of you who don't know, she's an artist, a writer, and an educator born and raised in Tacoma, Washington. Her work explores the intersections of identity and themes of love loss and longing but i want to be more specific about what her work focuses on it centers black humanity as sacred divine and worthy i think that's worth repeating her work centers black humanity as sacred divine and worthy she was tacoma's poet laureate 2017 to 2019 she worked to ensure literary arts was accessible and represented the community. She designed and curated Tacoma's first summer solstice, S-O-U-L-S-T-I-C-E, featuring visual and performing arts of BIPOC and LGBTQ artists. She's released two collections of poetry, and I'm telling you all right now, go to Blue Cactus Press and purchase them. They're called What Us Is and The Art of Naming My Pain. And the reason I think it's really important to go purchase those right now is because she believes her work has one purpose to be used as a tool for liberation and healing, sometimes through provocation or confession or straight up laughing so hard your stomach hurts or crying so hard you can't even feel your face anymore. She works to celebrate the beauty and power of everyday folk and put some funk into the dread we call survival. She's currently working on her third collection, which is a hybrid of poetry and prose that explores the blessings and curses of confessions and unsolicited advice. And I'm really hoping today she confesses some things and she offers (laughs) unsolicited advice, unfiltered, unedited advice to our listeners. Well, we know Delma needs a lot of unsolicited advice. Swear to God he does. Mm, I didn't know this is what we were doing. (laughs) Yes, you did. I yes, you totally did. did. Yes, yeah, you, you did. did. Wow. Kelly, thank you for making time for us. It's so good to have you back on the show. I will make time for you all. You know I don't like 
just even the concept of the outside world or mm-hmm. anything. But I will always make time for you two crazy asses because, I mean, you know, like-minded. That feels, yeah. that feels really good. And I'm sure that um, a lot of that is per my involvement in this project. Oh. As yeah, you totally called that. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's totally why, listeners. Mm-hmm. Mm, sure. I'll let you have that. Thank you. I'll let you have Thank it. You. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, mm. nailed it. <laughs> Stuck the landing. What? Um, it's been a it's been a minute <clears throat> since we've had you here, and I'm thankful to you for making the time and space and. Um, I don't know how familiar familiar you are with our theme for this season around our money and our values, but I immediately thought of you. I immediately thought of you when we were planning um, for this season. Because I have neither? Because <laughs> I ain't got no money or, or no values. Exactly. <laughs> I thought of you because... It's a conversation that I think um, you and I have kind of dipped our toes into um, inadvertently, organically, more than once. Um, And I think anybody who does consulting work, who does work that is independent of larger companies and organizations, so like artists and people who are producing work, um, and then having to negotiate and having to schedule and having to work with other people to get this stuff out there, and all, right? Like, all of that can bring up themes relevant to, to this season. So I really wanted you here for that. And your art and is so honest. And I wanted to see how that translated for you into how you negotiate the spaces you move through, how you make sure you get mm-hmm. compensated, et cetera, et cetera. So... Mm-hmm. Thanks for for carving out some time to be here with us to have that conversation. And so the first thing I think I want to ask in that context is, can you please talk about the last time you really felt like an Uncle Tom? (laughs) (laughs) I like that he starts with such an easy question, right? A light one just to ease in. No, talk Damn. to me about like when you, you just know, sold fucking, your fucking soul. And- I don't get the icebreaker. No, nah, I don't nah, get nah. the. I don't get that, highs and lows. You got, you got that. You got that season wow. one. Oh, you know, you ain't company no more. You, you just gonna die right Clearly, in. clearly. You know what the I'm fridge clearing is. the table and yes. shit, and cleaning the toilets and shit. <laughs> Damn! Come on, come through. Oh, gosh. Well, I will say this. It definitely is relevant to consulting, Mm -hmm. Um, especially, you know, the consulting that we do um, of equity and inclusion and so-called belonging or so-called justice, as you said earlier, um, Delma, because... Coming in this package of, you know, black and female, um, and sometimes they know I'm queer and sometimes they don't, you, well, I started to realize um, they didn't always, they might have enjoyed my content or what I was bringing, but it. I started to pick up on the fact that I was, the package I was in was the product they were buying. It wasn't so much what I was facilitating or wanting to, you know, train or whatever. It was like, well, a black lady said this to us. Or look, we've got, somebody actually had called me a black gal. I let them know a black gal. And they don't know, like, when we hear gal, <laughs> oh, I hear that shit. motherfucker from Color Purple going, you going to buy something or not, gal? Yeah, like, that's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... When also, you, who the fuck says gal? Who says oh, that? Honey, they're out there. Jesus. Even in this so-called Northwest nice bullshit. You know the progressives are always the worst. Yeah. But um, especially the ones that are wearing, you know, Patagonia and Blundstones and all that shit. 
Anyways, um, I am. There has been a lot of these those blinding flashes of like, bitch, why are you here? And I had a kind of a slight one, honestly, with the the storytelling event I was telling you about. Um, so, dear listeners, I am at the. I don't know. I'm not going to say the tail end because I'm not, but I'm still recovering um, from my cancer journey. And um, there is a a collective that I think is amazing in the community called Creative Colloquy, and they do storytelling. And I was, um, I agreed to come in for one of the crawls and talk about my cancer journey. And I wanted to do that because I had never really told even a slice of my story to anyone, much less a room full of strangers, much less a room full of strangers that are primarily white. And I really, um, I value, and I actually do trust the intention of Jackie who runs these things and I've known her a while. Um, And I don't have the concerns with her around, oh, you're buying my my checkboxes, you're buying my profile, right? You don't care about the story. I I completely trust that she is not doing that. Um, But it was a very crowded event. And I'd say it was probably 97% white. And so as I looked at them, I even text my my homegirl while I was and while I was being introduced. And I was like, what what the fuck am I doing here? Why am I here? Why am I here? And she's like, well, one, I say that every time I'm in a, a this kind of a group where I've opted into being one of the only and being vulnerable. It's one thing to be one of the only. Like, I'm used to that. But being one of the only and um committing to truth telling or committing to kind of turn I call it I always call it turn, turning myself inside out when I am sharing this level of vulnerability um I just I started to go oh great now I'm going to be the story that they tell at their next dinner party you know there was a black woman and she was talking about and I don't get paid for creative colloquy by the way <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which is fine. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah, that's okay. I knew that. Mm-hmm. But even if I was, um, and especially if I was, I'd be like, what the fuck am I doing? What am I selling? What am I selling? Am I selling the softest parts of myself, the more precious parts of myself um, to be upfront or to be like, what am I getting out of this? Um. And part of the cancer journey, too, I think, for me, has been I'm not saying yes to things that don't feel like to the hell yes part of the continuum because I've, you know, I've eaten enough shit. I have had so many um, auntie, auntie Tom moments um, where I know I'm being hired to, like, do the dance Mm -hmm. and check the box and I can hear, I put, I'm put. i putting on my tap shoes and somebody's in the back with a banjo and it's a 90-minute surface level glossary. Like, what's the difference between equity and equality? I'm not doing that shit anymore. Mm. I don't give a fuck what you're paying me. Mm. If you haven't figured that out yet, you and I are this collect. There is no partnership for me. And everything has to feel like a partnership now where, that is mutually beneficial. He said, when, you know, when do you... When do you see yourself sell out? It, it reminds me of, um, and I said this in the check-in, my, my sister who just the whole event on MMIW, it was an amazing um, group of panelists. The whole audience was indigenous. Mm. They're speaking to an indigenous audience. And you could hear them not, I've heard enough indigenous people talk where we, we lead with a qualifier or a little bit mm. of the diplomacy or a little bit of the explanation before you yeah. actually say the message. They didn't have to do any yeah. of that. They knew their yeah. audience and they were mm-hmm. leaning into their truth and mm-hmm. fucking putting it on stage. What are some of those spaces, if at all, that you have access to 
And how is that different for you as you're, as, mm-hmm. you know, you're walking through this journey? Yeah. Um, I think that the fellow survivors, particularly um, there is a woman, Cervanti, shout out to Cervanti, who is Pat. My wife and I were coming down the elevator at the clinic and her and her husband happened to be in the elevator at the same time. She too was diagnosed. She has a different kind of blood cancer, but um, had. She too is in remission. Um, But we met and it's, you don't see very many folks of color at the clinic. And if you do, you don't know that they have, I never met anybody else who had leukemia. And so we instantly, we got diagnosed around the same time. And then our stem cell transplants were both cord blood because the registry is such a shit show. Mm -hmm. And we've become really, really um, close in terms of just being able to talk to each other about the things that go on in your head and um, the terror of it all. Um, And then I've also been able to meet a woman... um, who had a core blood trans, a black woman who had a core blood transplant back in 2016, um, who is a professor at UW. Um, and we got to connect in person because I actually emailed her to thank her. She, she created this partnership um, where she was getting um, folks of color to donate mm-hmm. bone marrow mm-hmm. or get on the registry because our chances of, Finding a suitable donor are so fucking low. slim to fucking none. So if any yeah. BIPOCers are out there, yeah, sign right. up, sign yeah. up. They need it. Yeah. So when we met, and you know, I'm a weird, awkward, insecure bitch. So I, the small talk thing always makes me, eh, mm-hmm. even with her. But we, it was like we were homies. Um, and it was what you said, Shondine, there wasn't a lot of qualifiers or me having to say, you know, when you have leukemia, it's different than other cancers yep, because yep, yep. Um, we just hopped right in and just talking about the trauma of it um, and how, and it's been eight years for her, almost eight years, but she still has a lot of those fears that I was hoping was going to go away. And so mm-hmm. we were able to talk through that, but to just be able to go in without the, you know, these contextual references that make the other, that center the comfort of the other people that don't know Um, it. I have found that primarily with other women survivors and women of color survivors that um, they get it. They know what it's like to not like to waste, like physically see yourself waste away and try to figure that out or grieve the loss of, frankly, your booty. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I was a thick one. Mama was thicker than a snicker. Not so much. And some of the cultural relevance of that and to not be judged by that and, mm-hmm. all, you know, just all the things that are just that level all the way to, am I going to see my daughter get married? Mm-hmm. Um, what does all of that mean? Um, the survivors are so helpful in that. And how to be unapologetic in talking about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not care if other people get it. Like, if you don't get it, you don't fucking get it. I'm not going to sit. I don't want to explain. I don't have to explain. It's that ha- the have to, that list of have tos has gotten a lot shorter. You know, you didn't, um, you didn't touch on it. And I'm wondering if there's a reason talking about what it was like um, working through the entire medical system mm. in your body. Mm-hmm. You and you know? don't have to. You don't have to. You can no, say, no. fuck that, Shandine, no. pass on that one. Cause. No, I, I think I just was trying to stay um, on topic or, like, stay with the question because I can go on a tangent. But it's also very loaded. Yeah, it's definitely really, really loaded. The And, you know, <laughs> it was divine timing that I was taking – this embodied social justice class and it wasn't very long it was probably like a month or so after my transplant no maybe two two three months after my transplant um there was a speaker talking about the medical industrial complex 
and all of the, right, like the overlap of white supremacist patriarchy uh-huh, uh-huh. and capitalism and medicine. And one thing that struck me, I you know, you take a break in the half of the class and I'm just weeping at my laptop because um, the instructor was talking about the way in which the medical industrial complex still blames the patient, blames the person who is going through the cancer or the whatever, um, the, especially the chronic diseases, especially the stuff that they claim, which that's a whole other, it's a whole other show. Yeah. Um, you motherfuckers don't want to give me the cure for cancer, but you motherfuckers have it somewhere. Yeah. I know that's that. Not, that's not a whole other episode. That's a whole other podcast. That's, that's a, a whole, whole other. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's just been to navigate the racism um, with the terror of at any minute I could get a fungal infection. I can get um, a bacterial infection. I can, um, you know, trip, trip, not fall, but trip. But because I have no platelets and no, like zero, literally zero white blood cells, I could bleed out um, and die. Like just that along with... Along with what um, you will be treated like when they show mm -hmm. up and to supposedly help you. Yeah. Yeah. To have um, the first doctor that came in it was part of my story he would not even look at me they were still trying to figure out what was wrong with me and he came in and I describe him as just super tall and super square <laughs> and um, he's like I have all these tubes in because they're doing like a shit ton of blood tests and all this diagnostic stuff and he's like um, okay so we're still doing tests um, we're pretty sure we're thinking it's leukemia but we'll let you know and circle back and he bounces You just dropped leukemia on me, bitch, and you're outie. Didn't want to look at me. I had to call my wife. She came right in and, like, just. But then the next white woman that came in, it was so clear when she came in and looked at us that she was terrified because we were black. Uh-huh. Terrified. Um, she's scared. You want me to make you feel better about my life possibly being over in less than two years. Yep. Do that labor too. So I think part of why I I have to do it in bits and pieces, Shandine, because frankly, to your point about the, the anger, because mm-hmm. first my anger was just primarily directed at God. Um, but then... I realized I actually could have been diagnosed probably a month earlier by a dentist and then another dentist Mm. and then another dentist. But they didn't. And when I, I learned that my symptoms that I was complaining about and trying to figure out at the dentist are very common symptoms of my disease... And one, the first person I saw just literally kind of looked in my mouth and was like, oh, it's the weather. You're fine. I'll prescribe you some antibiotics. Get the fuck. It was basically get the fuck out of here. Mm. He didn't even touch my mouth. He don't want to touch me. And the next folks did the same thing. So it, I felt so. <sighs> dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, untouchable like a leper, like a just disgusting to the medical professionals. I felt like they were scared of me. And I I believe they were. A lot of them were. The people that kept me alive were the nurses, for sure. Um, The brother that actually administered my stem cell transplant, James, um... Little Filipino dude. He was 
a fucking angel. Snuck me a six pack of ginger ale. That's like, <clears throat> that's like, it's like liquid gold. Um, snuck me a six pack, put it in my drawer or put it in my drawer so I wouldn't have to ask as much. And just the kindnesses of those folks mm-hmm. was helpful. But the way that um, unethical stewardship of power shows up in the hospitals and in the health system is just gross. It's just gross. And to come in as an equity person, (laughs) you know, I'm hyper aware of all these lenses happening at the same time and am absolutely powerless to do anything about it because I'm just trying to stop puking or I'm just trying to make it to the toilet or um, I'm trying to savor the two hours I can spend with my wife before she has to go back home and make money. Um, There is no healing in the hospital. There's no healing in the hospital. Um, I I fully understand why people give up. Mm -hmm. I fully understand it. I thought about it. And sometimes it's not in your control, and sometimes it is. We all know that will is a thing, right? The will to live, the will to fight. Um, I also sometimes just feel like the way people talk about suicide is so Mm. binaried. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not a simple thing. No, Mm -mm. no, it is not. Like making a choice to say, I'm I'm good, I'm done. There's Mm -hmm. the freedom in that choice. And the um, judgment and narrative around suicide does not allow t- for the um, depth of what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 They wouldn't. They. I could tell they were very <clears throat> didn't want to give me uh, the pain, the pain management that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to give me the sleep drugs that I knew worked for me. Um, going through enough mental health stuff, I knew what the fuck worked for me and what didn't. And I get that sometimes there's interactions, but it wasn't about that. It was about, oh, she's trying to get over or, oh, she, and I'm like, get over. I have fucking acute myeloid leukemia, bitch. I need to sleep. Yeah. Give me my fucking edible. I know it works. Or give me the equivalent in whatever you've got in your medicine fucking cabinet. Yeah. So I, I felt that racism piece very very active um and even have people really get annoyed with questions like being asked okay so are you saying and there's just so much um especially with leukemia so much uncertainty for so long because they got to do all these tests around like where is the chromosomal mutation and and that takes forever um, but even when they so-called have answers, they really don't. They just be trying shit and they don't want to say that. It's like, motherfucker, I know you just trying to figure it out. I know just you're throwing that. spaghetti at the fucking wall and seeing if it sticks. Just fucking tell me. And you send in some 12 year old that smells like her Victoria's Secret favorite fucking body spray. You know, goddamn well, it's going to make all the cancer folks want to vomit but this little heifer comes in flitting around with her little voluminous hair hey miss richardson Mm. and i'm like i like that it's a teaching hospital it's great and they're grooming them so early to um steal themselves to the humanity of the patient Mm -hmm. which i get you cannot be emotionally i i understand that and it's not a binary. Um, I am a human being in here, bitch. Um, no, I don't want you to keep stabbing me. No, I'm not going to talk to you about my equity work. So, um, what is that like to do? Like, what do you teach people exactly? I don't want to talk about that right now. I don't want to talk to you right now. What are, and you may still be processing this, but if you know, I would love to hear 
who you were and what you were willing to put up with prior to your diagnosis and after your diagnosis, what has shifted for you? And whether it's medicine or any other people's, any other institutions, there are just some boundaries you have erected Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. light of your experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that, and yeah, I think I am still processing some, but there are some definite um, core shifts that are already at play and, you know, just shit I won't go back to. So one of them is that sort of hell yes piece I was saying where if somebody wants to work together or ask me to do something and I'm not really excited about it, then I'm not doing it. Um, I didn't do that before. I wanted to, but I really did not trust the abundance of the universe. I didn't trust that I would be okay. So I trust that now. Mm. Um I think the other thing I really, I was working on and I was getting better at, but now it's just different, is I'm not doing anything in servitude to white people. Um, I'm not speaking in servitude to white people. I don't care about the comfort of the most powerful in a space. Um, And... They just, they're just going to have to deal with it. Um, there's that. Speaking in um, servitude. Mm-hmm. You mind saying more what you mean by that? Sure. So, like, um, Kelly come to this space and tell us about, I don't know, accountability systems or whatever. Mm-hmm. There might have been a time where I would put up a table and talk about cultures of blame versus accountability and you see how my voice just changed <laughs> i'm talking about accountability systems and processes and and that's there's a place for those things my son calls it the the white audience voice exactly he can hear yeah. my voice change when he's in the it, other room absolutely and I was like, yeah well welcome everyone i'm really excited to be mm-hmm. here he's like oh that's mm-hmm. that's that voice yeah he's like why there don't they get the Sit down. We're going to talk voice. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So now I, I'm i not leading with the table. Now yeah. I say, when's the last time you said you were sorry? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that is not a discussion that those benefiting from white privilege want to have. We're going to have the conversation that needs to happen if you want me in front of the room. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by the sort of like that. I used to call it like a kind of apologetic liberation where you're like, yeah, I'm showing up as, you know, me, but it starts. But I'm helping you get from point A to point B and I'm holding your heart. I'm not going to shame them. Right. Yeah. Indicting doesn't work. I'm inviting you into your own learning. Yeah. Fuck. Shame. Shame, 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 (laughs) shame, motherfucker. (laughs) You should be shamed. Walk, walk behind them down the street with that bell. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Game of Thrones right. style. Here is your you scarlet should, shame letter. Shame is real. Yes. I am a racist. Shame is an, <laughs> it is I, an appropriate feeling. In my workplace. I'm a tattoo yeah. that shit to your forehead. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one for sure. Um, and I think I'm a lot more... Uh, Empowered, I guess, to name the way that my spiritual journey is impacting my decisions. Mm. So when I got diagnosed and I was listening to one of my oncologists kind of explain the disease to me, it was clear to me that it was a complete overhaul of my personhood. And I immediately heard, you're being rebuilt. Mm -hmm. And I was not happy with that message or that news. (laughs) I really was not. Um, Because I, you know, one of the hardest parts for me was in uh, the anticipation, like, I had to wait over a month for a bed. 
to be able to even start my first round of chemo. So I had to sit in this diagnosis, not being able to work, um, just stuck on any streaming platform that would allow me a skosh of escapism. Yeah. Um, I couldn't get high because um, there is a concern around any kind of mold that might be in weed or edibles. So a bitch couldn't even get high. Like, how wrong is that? Seriously, I'd fucking die. Right? So, anywho, um, this is all happening for a reason. I know that. And there were times when I would not talk. There there were, all, well, not times. I didn't talk about the intersection of my spiritual life or what I believe I'm hearing or why I'm truly here and, you know, having that feeling divinely guided. I didn't talk about that at all um, for fear of judgment or that I wasn't going to be legitimized, you know, just all of Mm -hmm. that shit. Mm -hmm. And now I don't, I, that's, that's how I'm coming. That's why I'm doing what I do. So you talk about the shifts in your personal life and your work life and your spiritual life. And how you have been, you're changed and how you're showing up differently. Mm -hmm. The last time we had you on, when you talked about what you were doing and what you were navigating, we asked you a question at the end, which was, yeah, but I know you still get petty. I know that pettiness still shows up. Mm -hmm. Um, And give me an example of it. And you said, I'll sit and write fucking shitty limericks about you in my head, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I'll do when I'm Mm -hmm. fucking petty. So let's fast forward. There's, It almost feels like... Is there room for petty when you are showing up more authentically um, in these spaces? And if so, what does that look like now? Mm-hmm. There is always room for petty. Yes. Yes, that is just the correct like, answer. Oh, absolutely. There, just like there's, you know, yes. there's always uh, an, you know, it's always appropriate to have a cocktail, what, regardless of what time it is in like 9 a.m., 9 p.m. I don't give a shit. Just like me neither. Libations and vices, it's always appropriate to me. Petty is absolutely. All right, bring it. What does it look like? Um, or what can it come look to like? Mind. Yes, I I actually just wrote a petty limerick for a couple of friends. It's you can say um, Delma. It's okay. You can. Like, <laughs> wait. What? <laughs> you can say you wrote a petty limerick about um, him. Yeah, so I I do still do that just because words are kind of my weapons. Um, sometimes I will look like I'm being, um, you know, official, like with note taking. <laughs> you know, I'll be like, just one second. And then I'll actually write down what's in my head. Like, you punk bitch i just you know asshole 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 nod your head asshole asshole Mm -hmm, asshole Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. the other thing that um has been i'm trying to always find these these ways through this um journey where is just a slice of agency where is some little teeny bit of power i can step into because i have just felt so fucking powerless like, I felt like my name was my patient ID number. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just figuring out how to reclaim that. And after being kind of medicalized for so long. Um, but the other thing that I really enjoy doing, especially in these medical spaces that I'm still in, is asking the question back to the providers or to Mm. whoever the so-called expert is. Mm -hmm. Because again, the the default is that like, oh, you can advocate for yourself and we're partners in your health. And actually, no. Now, if you want to have a discussion about East Coast hip hop, yeah, bitch, I might be an expert, but I did not go to school for none of this. So stop talking to me about when we look at the different, you know, and this is the mutation on this and, you know, with... I don't know, bitch. I don't know. Like, stop asking me to choose these things so that then you can blame me that I chose the wrong thing when the outcome is not. Anyways, so um, I have asked questions back. So if they're like, um, 
you know, what are some of the things that are contributing to these symptoms? You know, what have you been trying? And I'll say, well, what do you see in my file? (laughs) You own it. Because everything's on the goddamn computer, bitch. You know that. So some of the petty is trying to um, make them even just a teensy bit as uncomfortable as I feel as examined and objectified as I feel. Um, And that's not really nice, but I don't care. Like, I got nothing. No, Petty's not about nice. Petty's about being alive. No. Yeah. Um, So that's that's one thing I've I've done for sure. Nice. Um, Yeah, I'm sure there's more, but that was the first thing that came to my head. I dig it. Callie, thank you. Make it talk to us. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy it. My pleasure. It, as always. Um, I'm wondering before I let you go if there are any projects you're either at the helm of or are deeply interested in and want to let any of our listeners know to check for. And it's okay if not. I could just erase this whole question. No. <laughs> um. Yeah, I guess the third collection, um, I am slowly working on that. I'm not sure when it might be out, um, but folks can always support my work by going to Blue Cactus and purchasing one or both of my collections there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm in the process of putting up some of my visual art on sale on my site. It's taken a while because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Mm. That's exciting. And um, my Instagram handle is words paper paint, and my website is brownbetty.org. Um, so folks can reach out to me there. And what kind of discount can I expect to get when I show up to purchase? I actually expect you to pay double. <laughs> You know, there's the friends and family discount, oh. and you get you get like a, a fuck boy tax. Say so like a enemies and <laughs> a tariff. Yes, yeah, <laughs> tariff. Mm-hmm. A tariff. Dive In Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting. The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible. Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit. For more information on Center for Whole Communities, Find us at wholecommunities.org. For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us at thinkshorelines.com. Dive in Justice theme song created by Nasir Thomas Jackson. Jenny Cotting helps us out with marketing and promotions. Thank you all so much. Without your effort, this show would not be possible.